gentlemen, boys and girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast, I welcome you to the first episode of Martian MMA, where we investigate into the world of MMA beyond the surface and dive into all of the intricate details of the complicated sport we all know and love so much. I'm your host, John. You can find me on Twitter at UFO underscore UFC. That's UFO underscore UFC. My Twitter is mostly nonsense. It's just confirming the people in the world of the MMA who are confirmed aliens, in my opinion. Each week, we will be focusing on deciphering all of the news in this week of MMA. I say we instead of I because I hope to have some guests on the podcast soon. The show will also consist of general MMA discussion, fight prediction, and any interesting topic in the world of fighting or martial arts. Today is December 1st, the eve before UFC 218, the day of the Ultimate Fighter 26 finale, although I have little to no interest in that card, and I am extremely excited for UFC 218. We'll get into talking about the pay-per-view in a little more detail towards the end of the show, but first we will start off by deciphering all of the juicy lies that were told to us this week. There is an abundance of information and quotes to go over due to the fact that UFC president, the egg himself, Uncle Dana, got in front of the media for a full hour scrum in the fight week of UFC 218, which gives us tons of information to dive into and I can't wait to decipher all of these lies one by one. Let me just start by saying who doesn't love Uncle Dana? He's everybody's favorite uncle. But also, don't get it twisted, he lies a lot. A shitload. He doesn't care about lying to the UFC fans, to the UFC fighters, or to the media honestly. We all know that Dana is a big fan of President Donald Trump, and you can see the similarities in the way that they respond to tough questions and any sort of adversity that comes their way. That being said, for his entire career, Dana has been the president of a privately owned company, which enables him to do or say whatever he wants. If the UFC was a publicly traded company, then he would have to totally reform his behavior and stop lying to everyone so fucking much. For the most part, Dana's a good guy, but, you know, he's just a little bit full of shit sometimes. So I sat through this entire hour-long scrum and wrote down all of the atrocious comments that were made by the egg throughout the hour, starting with the quote, that the card is still being built. Him referring to UFC 219, which is less than five weeks away, 30 days to be exact. You know, it's the end of the year card. Dana probably has some tricks up his sleeves for another fight or two he wants to throw on there, especially with Gokan Saki pulling out of his fight. That loses a lot of excitement for the card. And let's be honest, the main event is not too riveting either 
but I hope the fighters that are being built into this card are, have been made aware already and are not going to be given five weeks notice for a fight. The media proceeded to ask a plethora of Ronda Rousey questions to which Dana replied, USADA is still popping up at her house testing her. As pointed out by Ben Falks on Twitter, the USADA has not tested her once this calendar year. Let's remember that she fought at December 30th of 2016. So for the entire year of 2017, she was not tested by USADA once. And Dana is just blatantly making up this story about USADA popping up at her house frequently to test her. Him, him praising her like she's brave for getting a drug test still, even though it's total fiction. Dana rode Rousey's dick throughout the entire barrage of questions that he was thrown. He dodged any question that was difficult by any means. He still ignores the fact that she hasn't talked to any MMA media in over two years. The last time that she did an interview with one of the MMA reporters who helped build her career from the bottom up was in the fight leading up to Holly Holm in November of 2015. You know, she owes the reporters and the fans some sort of explanation, some sort of answers about her career. Imagine the little girls who paid for her pay-per-views and were paying to see her in movies and they were telling her mom that she wanted to grow up and be just like Ronda Rousey and she started jujitsu or started judo and then she just disappears. Her hero disappears. She sees her hero get flatlined twice. Second one wasn't flatlined. First one was flatlined. Second one was just brutally beaten. She sees that twice and then her her hero just disappears, you know? Rhonda Rhonda can't do that. She owes everyone more and she she needs to come out of this shell that she's in right now. You know? She, her and Travis, I believe, are already married. She seems to be in a good place, you know, mentally, uh getting uh, more involved with pro wrestling by the minute, I imagine. You know, come out and give your fans a little like what's up, you know? She went on Ellen and didn't really say anything too riveting, didn't answer any questions about MMA. Um, wasn't as dark as her first round of talk shows after she lost the first time when she admitted she was suicidal, not the best move. So a little bit of an improvement there, but she's really got to get in front of the mic of an MMA journalist to be credited as a, a real lifetime martial artist, in my opinion. She's right on the border now as just like a phase in her life, you know, but uh, if she comes out and faces the media like like a, a fighter, like a person who knows how to take their loss, like a like a Dominic Cruz after he lost to Cody Garbrandt, then she would earn my respect. So now you know how I feel about Ronda Rousey. Sorry to go off on that little tangent. But Dana didn't want to talk about how Cyborg versus Holm got done when a reporter asked him how they got over the initial turmoil that was stopping the fight. Uh, if you remember, Ariel Helwani reported a couple weeks back that the fight was pretty much dead 
there was no discussion of it. And then uh, this chaos about Woodley versus Nate Diaz starts coming up, rumors for a week. Everybody ponders over that and how terrible that would be. And then somehow they they go, they resort back to home versus Cyborg. So they must have just caved in and gave someone an extra $500,000 to get the fight done. But they got it done. That's the main event for the end of the year. And practically it's weak as fuck. I don't know if you've heard Dana say this yet, but he said it on multiple occasions that the UFC is having its best year in company history this year. Did you hear that? The UFC is having its best year in 2017. Let me just run through the pay-per-views real quick off the top of my mind. 208 was dog shit. It did 100, 200k buys. There were probably six pay-per-views this year that did in the range of 100 to 200,000 buys, and I could list them all. UFC 208, UFC 209, UFC 210, 211 did a little better, 300,000. Um, 212, right there, 200,000. Uh, 213, 100,000. 214 did exceptional, around 750,000. 215, right back down to 100,000. 216, right back down to 100,000. 217 did exceptional, uh, rumored to be over a million. Don't quite believe that, but let's say 800,000. And then this 218, I hate to say it, but we're looking at another, you know, 200,000 pay per view buy. And. The card at the end of the year, I if they think it's going to draw any sort of pay-per-view numbers, they are sadly mistaken. It will draw 250000 at the most. Um, I give that extra little bump to people just wanting to do something on December 30th, you know, the night before New Year's Eve. Maybe they care about the girl who knocked out Ronda Rousey a couple years ago. Maybe they care about this Brazilian powerhouse freak girl, but not really much casual interest being generated by Holly Holm and Chris Cyborg. And anybody who thinks there is, is delusional. When Dana was asked if he had any details on the Conor McGregor rumors coming out of Ireland, the Conor punched a member of the Irish mob or mafia, one of the two, um, and now has an alleged hit on him for $900,000. Now, the only source I've heard to that was Brendan Schaub on Joe Rogan's MMA show. But for him to say that on a platform with a million people tuning in in the first couple of days, he, I, I, I actually, I redact that statement. I'm not even going to finish it. I was going to say that I think Brendan has a little more sense than to spread some bullshit like that, but he clearly doesn't because that's exactly what he did and that he has a history of doing, even though I love Brendan Schaub. Dana replied that he hadn't talked to Connor and he does not believe the Irish Mafia story at all. He thinks that there would be a lot more media coverage and news coverage of the event. But, you know, if it w truly were the Mafia involved, I doubt they would have any news coverage or any articles being posted online for everyone to see. They would probably go about their business quietly. However, this story just sounds a little too far-fetched for me to believe. 
Although when leaving court today, Connor got in his Lamborghini or some sort of sports car that I do not know and said, come and get me. So that sort of implies that he is sought after by someone and maybe he's feeding into the rumors. Maybe there is actually something going on, but I highly doubt that there is a hit out on Conor McGregor for $900,000 by the Irish Mafia. A reporter asked Dana if Conor would be in trouble if he in fact punched a Mafia member. To which Dana replied, it can't be a good thing for Connor, with a huge smirk on his face. A journalist had the balls to utter the word Bellator around Dana White, his first time hearing the word. When describing Conor McGregor's incident at Bellator in Dublin with pushing Mark Goddard and slapping the commission and running in the cage and all of his recent inappropriate behavior. And to which Dana replied, yeah, we were working on a fight for him at the end of the year and now we are. I'm going to let you digest that. He thinks he just told us that he pulled Connor from a main event a UFC 219 because of the way he conducted himself at a Bellator show in Ireland. That's absurd. That is just a lie and anybody who believes that, actually I haven't seen anybody believe that. Even when I saw the quote posted on Instagram or Twitter, everyone was saying bullshit don't believe it, lies. So the fact that he thinks that we would believe it is just a little delusional, you know? Um, Connor was not working on fighting for UFC 219. Um, there's no indication that he would be interested in fighting before the end of the year. He just made $100 million in 2017 for one fight. He just had his son in 2017. How about you give the man a little bit of time to soak up some of the money and stardom that he has just acquired? You know, he has he's had money and he's been famous for a while, but but not like this, you know? He's, he's a mega superstar. He's not even a mixed martial artist anymore. He's a mega superstar that happens to compete MMA and boxing. Dana White said, We are still in the stage where Connor might never fight again. Well, Dana, you better hope that's not true, or else the UFC is going to sink like the Titanic. Might I remind you what Conor McGregor's unofficial nickname is? The Golden Goat. Scrooge McDuck. He is the man with the money. He reels in the money. The only way that Dana could classify 2017 as the best year ever for the UFC is if he includes Mayweather McGregor which isn't a mixed martial arts fight so he shouldn't be even considering that but he says that we wasted resources not wasted we used resources 
and investing a lot of time and resources into promoting this fight. So that's where they're counting the revenue into this year's to UFC. So I understand that thinking, uh, where it's coming from, it's just not the right thinking, you know? It kind of diminishes last year, 2016, which was the UFC's best year, where they had five pay-per-views that sold over a million buys. Five, that is unheard of. UFC 196 did 1.5 million. UFC 200 did 1.1 million. UFC 2.2 did 1.5 million. UFC 205 did 1.3 million. UFC 207 cracked a million. So Connor reeled in a million three separate times. If you add them all up, it's well over four million, almost at five. So he sold five million pay-per-views in a year. So the fact that no one is twisting Connor's arm, I, I mean, you can't twist Connor's arm, you know? You, you, need to, you, need to, you need to sweeten his tooth, you know what I'm saying? You need to persuade him. The fact that no one on the UFC doesn't have voicemails in his phone nonstop saying, what do you want? What will it take for you to come fight? We need you. If they really, if they really wanted him on the December 30th card, Man, I don't know what they would have had to given up for him to, for him to get on that card, for him to come in and rescue that on short notice and fight a fucking killer like Tony Ferguson or someone else, whoever the fuck he chooses to fight. There's no, whoever Connor is gonna fight. It's not gonna be easy. Even if it's Nate Diaz, it's that's not an easy fight. You know, they 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 potentially could have gotten the Nate Diaz fight down, and they would have just had to spend a fuckload of money. And obviously, they didn't weigh out the opportunity cost of it all because it still probably been would have been worth it. You know that fight that the trilogy sells two million pay per view buys, man. You know that's a hell of a lot better than two hundred thousand for Cyborg versus Holly Holm, man. So the whole Conor McGregor situation, Dana White is taking a sort of laissez-faire approach to it, not really getting too involved. He seems to be backing him up in the Bellator incident, um, as he should, you know. he's That's his cash cow. He needs to protect his asset by all means. Um, and I and I was joking around with John Morgan on Twitter right after right after the Bellator incident happened, and I said we need to get all of the shills together to start defending the Golden Goat. Um, when I say shill, if you don't know what that means, John Morgan is paid by the UFC secretly. I don't know if it's totally secret because I know about it. But um, he kind of is just paid by the UFC to just kiss their ass a little bit, you know? Not ask too hard questions, post a lot of their stuff that they want posted, you know? He, uh, he's always given, you know, uh, front, front, front row, dead center seats. He's always, you know, got, the, got access to ask questions first. You know, he's the, the UFC's dog in the media, you know? He actually replied, uh, I'm not sure what you're insinuating or something like that. Uh, so he kind of got my little my little dig at him. So that so so mission accomplished, John Morgan. Let that sink in.
Dana doesn't seem to be talking too much to Connor. He doesn't really know what's next for him. He's not really speculating. He's just sort of uninformed about it all. And uh, to quote him, he said, We are all here to make money, which is a rare, brutally honest statement from Dana because secretively, all he cares about is money. Even though that he had a 9% in the UFC when it sold for $4 billion, which rakes in over $350 million, in addition to his already humongous wealth, he just wants more money. He wants money for the company. He wants money for himself. He doesn't really want money for fighters, but I guess that's a, a sacrifice you have to make if you want to make money yourself. Right, Uncle Dana? Next at the scrum, Kevin Ioli called out Dana for him previously criticizing the media for insinuating that Connor might not ever fight again before the Mayweather fight. Dana insists that he never said that and always knew it was a possibility that Connor would never fight again. But that is bullshit because you would never let your cash cow walk into that boxing ring with no string attached to him. You know, you need that back. You know, it's like putting your, your best bait out in your line. You know, you want to catch you want to catch the fish, you want to reel in the money, but you also don't want to lose your bait, you know? I don't go fishing. I don't know if you could tell that. A reporter asked if Dana had any thoughts on Tony Ferguson's advice for Connor to defend or vacate, to which Dana replied, Ferguson has no business to talk about anything. Listen, we ain't taking any direction from Ferguson. That is total disrespect for his fighter and proves the interim titles are total bullshit. You made this guy fight for a piece of metal that means nothing essentially that he can just keep in his living room and say he was a half a champion while you let your your golden goat sit on a shelf doing nothing with the real belt. He then he then avoided a question asking when Connor would, would return and if he plans to be stripped at all. Just totally avoids the question. He said that the problem isn't getting Connor an opponent. It's we're in the process of negotiating his new contract. And uh, a reporter asked, will he get points? Insinue asking about pay-per-view points. To which Dana replied, did Jordan get points? This basically confirms that any sort of contract negotiation between Connor and the UFC is going to be extremely difficult. And uh, is due to for a lengthy process, and we're not we're not expecting Connor to, to fight anytime soon. Um, I don't know if you could tell already, but I'm a massive, massive Connor McGregor fan. More, more, more than Dana White, more so than Dana White. I can tell you that. And I want to see him fight again. I want to see him fight Tony fucking Ferguson really bad. And I think I think the fight happens. I don't think Connor's done. I don't think he's a bitch who's gonna walk away like that. I think that he's experiencing a lot of turmoil right now. I think he's definitely on coke. Um, that's why he's raging out so much and punching so many people and going so crazy. 
so once he gets that under control he gets the partying out of his system he gets back to training gets back at sbg gets sparring gets rolling around you know hitting mitts he's gonna realize what what he really loves and more so than hookers and cocaine with Oscar De La Hoya, he loves fighting. And he's going he's gonna to go back to that. He's going to go back to the UFC and prove that he's the best fighter in the world. He's proving that he's the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. You know, the best overall skill fighter in the world is Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. But the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world is Conor the notorious McGregor because pound for pound means what to me it means what you can do at different weight classes and we've seen what Connor can do at different weight classes we've seen his power transfer through 25 pounds at 145 he ended he ended the featherweight goats reign with one strike one left hand that's all it took at 155 he takes away the belt from you know the underground king not really like the the king of lightweight but the underground king you know it's, it's eddie alvarez for christ's sake he, he 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 beats up eddie alvarez like he has no business being in the octagon with him and we see him go up to, to 170 and knock down six foot one 185 pound nate diaz you know, not cutting any weight, just straight size, straight lanky size at uh, UFC 202, man, we see, him, we see him knock him on his ass a couple times, you be like, damn, that power is transferring from 45 to 55 to 70, shit, man, what, what if he could land that shot against Woodley? What if he can land it against GSP? Those are fights. Those are fights I want to see. I can tell you right now, I want to see him. I would pay to see him. I don't give a fuck about titles or holding up the division. I want to see the money fights. And they're not even. They're not even money fights. I shouldn't even say that. I want to see Connor fights because you know it is. It is a money fight when Connor fights. It's like a Floyd fight. You know he's he's at that he's at that aura now where he can he's he's associated with money so much to the fact that every fight for Connor is a money fight. So I want to see. I, I don't give a fuck who he fights. I don't, I don't care if he fights Khabib, Nate, Tony, GSP, Connor, or shit. Um, Max Holloway, he could rematch Jose Aldo. They're all good fights. They're all good fights. Take my money for every single one of them. I just want him to get back in that octagon. And, you know, people need to start making it happen. Some reporter asked some weird question about tattoos, and Dana said that he asked Connor to stop getting tattoos. And Connor replied, You're too old, you don't get it. And. He also said that he asked Rhonda not to get a tattoo sleeve on her arm, and she listened. So that's 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 just weird weird stuff. He he said it kind of jokingly, and the media kind of laughed along with it. But for him to tell a fighter like not to get tattoos, uh, that that's pretty weird to me. Um, and you know, R- Rhonda was kind of his like you know unborn daughter in a sense. So she kind of just did whatever, but Connor don't give a fuck. Connor is, you know, Connor. It's Uncle Dana to Connor, just like it is to all of us. You know, it's the same. It's the same guy. So he didn't give a fuck and just, you know, got gorillas on his chest, lines on his chest. You know, he's got like some weird, like, character on his arm. He's got 
the spine thing. He's got McGregor on his chest. You know, he's doing his fucking thing. And, and to be honest, it was dope. So, you know, maybe Dana is too old to understand. But Ronda Rousey with tattoos does not seem like a good look. Here's a great question that was asked, which I wish there was a better answer to. The question that was asked was, when do you think about walking away from the sport? You know, after being on top of the UFC for 15 years straight, when when, or do you ever think about walking away? And Dana replied, never. And he actually expressed a ton of interest uh, in promoting boxing very soon. Um, he answered a ton of questions about this, and he said that no UFC fighters will be fighting in his boxing promotion, to which journalists immediately replied, Connor? He said, no. Another journalist asked, Aldo? And he sort of just ignored the question and didn't answer. But he had a lot of contradicting points about boxing, you know? He said that he didn't watch a single fight on the undercard of Mayweather and McGregor. But he also talks about making stacked boxing cards that everyone's going to tune into. Well, you're a fight promoter. You know that good fights happen from the from the very bottom of the undercard to the tippy top of the main event. You you sat through the fight pass prelims and seen some some fucking crazy fights. What about what about UFC one ninety nine when Marco Polo Reyes and uh, the other homeboy whose name is escaping me went to war on the fight pass prelims. That fight almost got fight of the year. You're gonna miss fights fights of the year to happen on the undercard just because you're not there and you know dana totally contradicting himself saying that he didn't watch a single fuck i mean he's obviously promoting the thing so it's a little hard for him to watch but i don't know man undercards and boxing just sound like a prehistoric idea at this point if if i was promoting boxing i would do one fight you know three at the max but nine ten fights in a boxing card get the fuck out of here no one's watching that shit dana provided a real uh, in-depth answer to this next question uh when someone asked about the final pay-per-view numbers for mayweather mcgregor he replied very good and i believe the number that was rumored around was 6.2 million for Mayweather McGregor and that number sounds uh, extremely extremely exaggerated um I heard that I heard that the pay-per-view did not break Pacquiao Mayweather which uh I I I expected I I didn't think it was gonna you know Pacquiao's Pacquiao's pretty international superstar you know I mean Canelo Canelo is up there with international superstars too um but his fight only did 2.2 Floyd so, but the fact that it, like, you know, so many things came together to make that 4.4 million pay-per-view buy for Pacquiao Mayweather, I don't know. I mean, sure, it's passable. It's passable. But um, I don't know if if May, or Mayweather McGregor was the one to break it, you know. Or, I mean, any anything over 3 million buys to me would sound like uh, a, a good night of business because, you know, it wasn't a legit boxing fight. You know, the same type of diehard boxing fans weren't get Actually, they probably were. You know, even though it wasn't a fucking real uh, high-level matchup, 
it was still a spectacle and everyone still tuned in so maybe maybe it broke maybe it broke it but i don't see it i don't see 6.2 the reason why the the vagueness with with dana suggested they didn't break it um no official numbers have come out it's been over three months and we haven't seen any official numbers so i i doubt that it it broke 4.4 so that's another uh another vague lie from uncle egg the funniest part of the scrum occurred next when dana looked a reporter dead in the eye while he asked do you regret having bisping fight on three weeks notice in shanghai to which dana had a long pause and he asked the reporter to repeat the question and he replied that he didn't regret it when asked how he felt about Anderson Silva's second failed USADA drug test, he said, bummed out. That's your response. Bummed out. The guy with the longest win streak in UFC history. The second most title defenses. The guy who's headlined, what, 10, 15 pay-per-views, another 5, 10 fight nights. The guy who's been the face of your company for half a decade before he's been on top of the mma world for a whole decade that guy anderson silva tested positive for steroids twice and you're bummed out you should be ashamed and alarmed and scared and you, you should feel cheated like we do you know you should you should look back at every single one of those finishes and and say what what is this what is this you know Am I watching something incredibly talented or am I watching something illegally enhanced? And, you know, the feeling I had after watching John Jones knock out Daniel Cormier at UFC 214, the excitement I felt and how happy I was that John came back and got on top and all for that to be all ripped away by that failed drug test, it's, it, it was honestly sickening. And, you know, I don't really feel too much, you know, emotion like that from other things in the world. But, you know, when I have so much love for something like MMA um, and, you know, especially John Jones, like when when that all just gets ripped away and it makes you emotional, you know, yeah, I mean, I for one, the word I would say is cheated. You know, I would too is cheated, you know, just like Daniel Cormier, who was, you know, not I mean, shit man imagine how daniel cormier feels and you know if i feel bummed it, i'm bummed out if i feel disappointed you know imagine how daniel cormier feels i mean that guy the fact that he's still you know smiling and going on and doing his thing and fighting and commentating and he doesn't he doesn't give a fuck man that guy that guy is something special you know i, I fucking love daniel cormier and uh, to be honest i love him a lot more now than i did a couple months ago when he was before uh before i gained that newfound respect for him you know i was kind of i was kind of a not a hater of dc but i was definitely like i was definitely cheering for john jones heavy um in the first uh jones cormier fight and then uh then afterwards when cormier got the belt i was like oh it's a fake belt you know he beat gustafson i was like yeah but it's basically a fake belt um basically basically an interim title you know half a belt and then and then 
but after I, after I saw him want to fight John after he tested positive at 200 and how sad he got and how he was basically crying but backstage and he said, can I sign a waiver and fight him anyway? Like, man, that that's a gladiator right there. And uh, I'm so glad I woke up to the fact that DC is a privilege to a sport. Is he's a he's an uh, I I have I have a T-shirt with the dude's name on it. I mean, uh, I fucking love the guy now. Um, DC's the man, and uh, that's all I have to say on uh, Anderson Silva popping for steroids. You know, it's so uncharacteristic of Brazilians to have problems. You know, uh, that's not really like them. Um, but moving on to the next item on the docket, um, a quote from Dana White saying, me and Verdum do not have a good relationship at all. Not Verdum and I, by the way, me and Verdum. Um, he elaborated on, uh, Fabricio's recent ignorant behavior and the whole boomerang incident with Colby Covington in Australia. Um, he kind of just said that, you know, they've always had kind of a pretty shaky relationship and they don't get along. And then he says, yeah, but Fabricio called me this week and said he wants to come to Vegas and meet. So we're going to meet soon. So it didn't, it didn't, you know, run across his mind that, hey, I'm going to be sitting face to face with this extremely emotional, bipolar, angry, aggressive guy in a week. Um, and I just, you know, talked all this shit on him. Um, but that, I don't, that doesn't, that didn't cross Uncle Dana's mind. He's like, I'll just piss all over him and then I'll see him in a week and see how he acts. You know, cause that's the, that's the alpha way of doing things. A question that should have been asked a whole hell of a lot earlier than about 45 minutes into the scrum is if Dana had talked to Frankie Edgar, who don't forget was supposed to be in the main event of the pay-per-view that he, that he's in the fight week for, um, he pulled out of this fight citing a broken orbital bone that he uh, got in training. To which Dana questioned, who's hitting you so hard in training that you break your orbital? And said that he hasn't talked to Frankie and he thinks he's in Russia or something right now. Now I'm looking on Frankie Edgar's Instagram and he posted a video on November 14th with a pretty jacked up right eye and he, with the caption on my way to Bahrain and he tagged four accounts th three of them Middle Eastern MMA promotion accounts so this might be our first conspiracy that we are diving into, an original conspiracy by Martian MMA. I think that Frank Yeager had one of his teammates punch him in the eye with like a bare fist, no headgear, hurt his eye to give him an easy pullout to this fight because he got a massive offer from this Middle Eastern MMA promotion to come be a guest and, you know, hang out at their fights. He was probably getting a hell of a lot more money than the fight in the UFC, and he thought to himself, hmm, after this Aldo Holloway fight, which he probably favors Holloway in like the rest of the world, 
he thinks that there's probably not going to be any other contenders at 145 that deserve a title fight and he's going to be able to get the next title fight no matter what now if Cub Swanson has some insane performance against Brown Ortega and Fresno in a week then he might jump the line to a title shot but if he just wins a decision or something not too impressive then I can see him floating in limbo forever you know and if uh, if Aldo wins then Frankie also would get fucked because no one wants to see Aldo versus Edgar 3 after Aldo schooled him twice one one being a little more of a close fight, but the more recent one was a total schooling. It was a Muay Thai clinic put on by Aldo at UFC 200. So there you have it. Frank Yeager fakes injury, pulls out of title fight to receive a massive amount of money from a Middle Eastern MMA promotion to travel there as a guest. Original Conspiracy by Martian MMA. You heard it here first. The next quote isn't really a lie because Dana truly believes it, which is pretty sad. The quote is, I expect George St. Pierre to defend his 185 pound title. And he will be super pissed if GSP decides to vacate and go down to 170. Now, I don't know if you listened to George St. Pierre on the MMA Hour the week after he beat Michael Bisping at UFC 217, but he said that he threw up the morning of the fight because he ate so much breakfast he crammed so much breakfast down his throat that he threw up you know the dude does have a ton of anxiety problems so you know that might factor into it but he also said for the entire camp for longer than the camp because he knew about this middleweight jump a long time ago he has been just force feeding himself for months you know this is a dude who fought his entire career at 170 pounds and for him to just suddenly make this jump up 15 pounds is is not as easy as a lot of us think a lot of us probably thought that oh gsp probably weighed 200 when he was cutting weight down to 170 now middleweight's probably his better division but no way that we saw a thick looking gsp at uh ufc 217 uh thicker than a snickers as Brendan Schaub says, and that it, once you heard GSP talk about him getting sick and force feeding himself, you know, he, you know that he's not fighting at 185 anymore. He wants he wants nothing to do with Bobby Knuckles and them hands at 185. 185 is a sleep show for GSP. He would get slept by Kelvin Gastelum, Robert Whitaker. Yoel Romero is a tough fight. Luke Rockhold's a tough fight. Shit, even Chris Wyman's a tough fight for GSP at 185. He don't want nothing to do with it. He's going down to 170, where he knows is Tyron Woodley, who has been beaten before. We've seen him lose before. We've seen him lose a decision to Roy McDonald. We've seen him get knocked out by uh, Nate Marquardt. We've seen him lose in a couple different fashions, so that's definitely the approach that you take. I mean, we've, we've seen we've seen Rockhold, we've seen Weidman, we've seen uh, even Bobby Knuckles, uh, Lou, Kelvin Gaslam. We've seen all those dudes lose in a lot of ways, but 
I don't know. Something there's something a little a little more manageable about Tyron. And I, I guess it's his size, you know, it's they, they have similar styles, you know, wrestling very wrestling oriented so I think that's a good matchup for GSP that's a good fight you know Tyron definitely wants that fight uh GSP wants that fight the fans want that fight but man I think Dano actually would be pretty fucking angry uh you know I mean he's already gotten he's already got an interim title so he could just you know shift that bitch to a real one uh, get Rockhold in there, fight, fight, uh, Whitaker and Rockhold, that's, that's a scrap right there, Whitaker and Rockhold, that's a good, good, good fight, um, so there's, there's a lot of options, and also at 170, uh, Conor McGregor would go up and wait and fight GSP for the biggest motherfucking fight ever, that fight does it, 2.5 million pay-per-view buys so i don't think i think you know dana in, was asked about that fight in the scrum and he kind of he kind of put it off he's he actually said that it wouldn't do any more buys than ferguson versus mcgregor which is literally insane he said it wouldn't do any more buys than a, a nate diaz versus conor mcgregor trilogy and then right after he says this, he brags about how well the UFC 217 pay-per-view did in Canada. Right after he said the UFC 217 was trending higher in Canada than the Mayweather-McGregor. We sold over a million pay-per-views in Canada. Canada was great. you know. So if Canada was great, there, there a million pay-per-view buys for GSP versus fucking Michael Bisping, then what if you threw you know, the Golden Goat in there? The Golden Goat brings an, another 1.5, 2 million on his own. That, so that fight is easy, easy 2 million. I think it breaks 2.5. It might even crack 3 motherfucking million buys. I mean, it's it's GSP versus Connor, man. It's a no-brainer. Fuck it, you don't need belts. You just do the money fight, the MMA money fight. I don't understand how this isn't already being discussed. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. Also, much too late into this scrum, a question was asked about Tyron Woodley versus Nate Diaz. To which Dana replied, Woodley versus Diaz was never an option. So all of the media rumoring it, Tyron discussing it on TMZ, Nate's coaches doing interviews about the fight, that was all one big hoax, right? The UFC never wanted that fight, right? Dana actually made up this pathetic excuse that said one of the attorneys at the UFC said he was close with the Diaz brothers and thought that he could get the deal done for him to fight Tyron Woodley. He actually said this as an excuse to the media that a lawyer at the UFC just suggested this. He said the lawyer played Joe Silva. Like this is the most blatant cover up story. It's like when your mom comes home and sees a broken window and you're like playing baseball and you got your bat and your ball out and you're like, it wasn't me. Like like that's the it's the worst it's the worst excuse ever. Dana also said the quote Woodley was saying I need shoulder surgery, but then this Nate fight comes up and he starts campaigning for an Nate Diaz fight. 
So he, you know, Dana White fucking hates Tyron Woodley for some reason. I don't know if you know this, but he constantly undermines him, demeans him. You know, Tyron's pretty pretty vocal about it, how he gets treated like shit. But, but Dana doesn't give a fuck. Dana also doesn't give a fuck about Nate Diaz. Him, him, you know, he he ripped into him pretty good in this too. He said that Nate has turned down fights with every guy on the roster. You know, he said that they they're they're demanded to offer Nate a certain amount of fights every year, and he just turns them all down. You know, do I do you really fucking believe that? Like I I don't I don't want one bit. I don't believe you're sending contracts to Nate Diaz's house, and you know. Nate called him out on Instagram. He said, "Why are you lying?" <laughs> I believe it. I, I mean, this is what I. What have I just spent the past fifteen, twenty minutes doing? Is talking all about Dana Dana White's lies. A reporter asked Dana, "What are what are some of the names of the fights that Nate Diaz has turned down?" And Dana goes, "Oh man, who who hasn't he turned down? You know, he do, doesn't give a single name." Can't mention a single fighter. Another ballsy reporter asked about Ben Askren and asked Dana if he had seen Ben Askren's retirement fight or heard the rumors about Ben Askren wanting to fight GSP. To which Dana replied, Is that guy still around? <laughs> you, you can't help but laugh at that. Like, the most blatant troll slap in your face. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit ever. You know, this dude, 18-0, he just had a, a retirement fight against Shinyoki. He dominated him in a minute by a knockout. And he's had, he's had this great career. And he goes, is that guy still around? And he shuts him down like that. That's like Jeremy Stevens having one of the... One of the most underrated UFC careers ever. You know, his record is probably something like 14 and 12, but you can count on on two fingers the, the amount of bad fights that guy's ever been in. But Connor shuts him down with one sentence. Who the fuck is that guy? You know, that's, that's what Dana basically just did to, to Ben Askren. And then he dug into him a little bit more. He, he said, with a big smile on his face, he's such a huge star, I'll probably think about it. <laughs> Dana said, you guys know him, that's it. That's such naive thinking, because who's the number one contender at welterweight? Colby Covington is. And you know who's the only people in the world who know him? MMA reporters and MMA fans. So, you know, Ben Askren is not that much more ridiculous than having Colby Covington fight Tyron Woodley next. And it's just, there's just some bitter rivalry and some immatureness that is so present with Dana that you can see it is interfering with Ben Askren getting into the UFC. And it's a damn shame because I think that GSP versus Ben Askren is a hell of a fucking fight. And I would love to see it. And the last lie from the scrum when someone asked if Cody versus TJ and Joanna contributed to the pay-per-view buys for UFC 217, Dana said, absolutely. Absolutely, Dana. That's your response to Joanna Yedjajek. You know... Joanna versus uh, Karolina Kowalkiewicz, the other Polish MMA uh, fighter. 
They fought at UFC 205 last year, and 286 people from Poland watched. Poland's a country of about 50 million people, and 256 of them watched the fight. So, I mean, you know, there's not much draw going on there. You know, people, a couple people know Joanna Champion in America. A couple people, like fight fans know her, you know. But to think that she's drawing any pay-per-view buys is, is, is ridiculous. The same with Cody and TJ. C- Cody has never headlined a pay-per-view. He's co- co-headlined one. You know, without the, the Cruz fight was his first big fight. You know, no one knows who Garbrandt is besides, you know, MMA fans. You know, a couple people might have seen that, uh, you know, Maddox story and, you know, seen him from that and, you know, realized that he's a pretty good, good dude and everything he helped that kid out with. You know, a couple people might have seen him from that but you think those fucking people who saw that Facebook video are buying the are buying the pay-per-view, Dana? You're delusional. You think that TJ Dillashaw, who's headlining UFC 173 and UFC 177, that combined for 50 pay-per-views, uh, you think they're 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 buying UFC 217 because TJ Dillashaw is in the co-main event? That's delusional thinking. You know, I don't know if he even believes this shit himself, but he replied to that question with no hesitation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I bet half the pay-per-view buys came from people wanting to see that great Bantamweight matchup or wanting to see if Johanna could beat Ronda Rousey's record. Get the fuck out of here. Man, this, this, this scrum was frustrating to listen to, you know. You're literally just being lied to, you know. You, these people are asking questions. These reporters are asking great questions that you want to know the answer to. That, that these questions run through your head all day long. You know, when's Connor coming back? Is he gonna fight Ferguson? And you know, all these great questions, and, and you're just getting bullshit out of it. You're not getting any straightforward answers. You're having to go through your own investigation, your own, you know who's training here, who's doing this, who, what's getting done. You, you have to do that because you can't, you can't just hear it straightforward from the guy running shit. But, you know, but I digress, you know. that The, the UFC has always been this way. You know, that's what's part, that's what's great about it is you have to do a lot of independent thinking. You have to think outside the box like we did with our Frank Yeager conspiracy. Uh, you heard that here first, folks. Spread the news. But that wraps it up for the scrum. We we went through all of the lies, or most of them. You know, I might have left out a couple that I've, you know, gotten used to. That he says constantly that I left out by mistake. But we, I believe that we've gone through all the lies mentioned in the, the scrum. from uh, UFC 218 fight week. So with the remainder of the podcast, we're just going to quick go over uh what happened on last week's card uh give a couple predictions for uh this week's card and you know just have a little bit of light discussion about some fights you know so um we're talking about the shanghai card first in shanghai china that took past took place last saturday i did not watch the card because it was at i believe 5 a.m eastern standard time Maybe a little earlier, I could be full of shit, but um, 
a lot of noise around Zabit Magomedov-Shapirov, that uh, that Russian cat who won by uh, Anaconda Choke. He's really making a lot of noise. Um, there was a young man who was 19 years old whose name is Song Yadong who won by like a front guillotine choke. It was a really unique submission. He actually beat the first Indian-born UFC fighter in that fight. So a 19-year-old versus, or you know, a 19-year-old versus uh, the first Indian UFC fighter. That's pretty interesting. Um, we saw Alex Garcia submit Muslim Salkyov with a nice uh, rear naked choke. Um, Alex Caceres lost a decision to Wang Guan. We saw Li Jingling knock out Zach Otto. And in the main event, you all know what happened here. Michael Bisping went down like the British in the 1770s because Kelvin Gaslam took those hands to his face. That nasty right hook, straight left combination. Pretty much flatlined Michael Bisping. He actually took a couple of ground and pound shots and you know took some real damage in that fight. That fight was stupid for him to take. You know, you can't always be the good guy. Um, you know, I know he lost that title and had that bad taste in his mouth. I wanted to get back in there real quick, but you know, do it right. You know, Rockhold lost the title and had that bad taste in his mouth for <laughs> for fourteen months. You know, you guys, you guys know Luke Rockhold. He's he's the biggest he's the biggest douche ever. You know, I love the dude. Again, got got his name on a t shirt, but uh, he, you know. He doesn't seem like the coolest dude, you know? Seems like he kind of dwells on things. So for him to get knocked out by another asshole like Michael Bisping, even though Mike Bisping's a sweetheart, he just plays the role of an asshole. Um, for him to get knocked out by him, lose his title, and then have to sit on it for 14, 15 months before he get back, gets back in there, not even for the title... You know, has a little bit of a rough first round against Dave Branch, but then ultimately comes back and stops him in the second pretty impressively. You know, that's the way to do it. Not three fucking weeks going in and fighting the dude. I mean, you can you could argue that, that Kelvin is more dangerous than GSP at middleweight. You know, I mean, there's not really much argument to it. He stopped him in a half a round while GSP took half a fight, half a five-round fight for that matter. So... You know, the fact that Bisping even took this fight was it was bad, you know. He got he got left hooked larried by GSP and then choked unconsciously. Not to mention that GSP won the first round, was tuning him up with, with some nice jabs, that Superman jab. Um, you know, he he, he shouldn't have took, taken the fight. He shouldn't have taken the fight. It was a terrible move. You know, from the time that he recovered from the fight to the time it was fight week, he probably only trained a couple times. You know, that's just, it's terrible. It's terrible. I feel terrible that, that he was even allowed to go through with this fight. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that stuff like this stops happening in the future. You know, we saw we saw Cowboy Cerrone, you know, fight on like three weeks turnaround. And, you know, look, look how that dude's doing now. Not not too good, you know. Uh, you know he could bounce back, but you know Cowboy's going through a bit through a little bit of a rough patch. You can't deny that. And maybe the fact that he was fighting six 
eight times a year, six times a year, not eight, six times a year in 2015 and 16, you know, maybe that's why his 2017s have been a little rough, you know? You know, is does Cerrone even have a, a win this year? You know, he got knocked out versus Miles Duval. He lost to Lawler by decision. It was a close fight. I mean, he looked like he was there against them. And then he gets knocked out by, by Darren Till. Um, you know, so really, really rough year for uh, Donald Cerrone. Hope he can bite, bounce back. But the dude's a, the dude's a warrior. 4-0, 4-0 in 2016. You know, just 2016 is, that's as good as you fucking get. I mean, I mean remember his, 20, his 2014, uh, when he, he started 2013 with, uh, with uh, triangling Evan Dunham, ran through Martins, Barboza, Miller, Alvarez, Jury, Henderson, Mac Desi, he had a title shot. Unfortunately, the title shot didn't go his way. And, you know, I listened to a Joe Rogan podcast with Donald Cerrone right before that fight. Maybe it was right after. No, no, it was right before. And Joe was asking him, you know, this is for the title. Is this one any more serious? You gonna, you know, you know, buckle down for this one? You know, like, this is like, it's the, it's the world title, you know? This is what you've been working for. And he's like, nah, nah, man. Like, every other camp, drinking beer, going wakeboarding, going out on the lake. And I'm like, dude, like, that's not what this is about. You think Rafael Dos Anjos is, is wakeboarding and drinking Budweiser? Rafael Dos Anjos probably hasn't seen his wife or kids in two months and has been just fucking training just nonstop with Rafael Cordero at the time. I believe he's moved camp since. But, uh, you know... You know, that's the dedication that it takes to become a UFC champion, you know, moving camps while you're, while you're like, while your baby moms and your, your, your baby, you gotta stay in a different city, you know, you know, leaving, leaving stuff behind that hard shit. That's what, that's what breeds champions not fucking wakeboarding and drinking beer. You need to get, you need to get serious about the shit or not do it at all, you know, and it's, it's. You know, I, I love Donald Cerrone. Donald Cerrone is the only UFC fighter who I've ever met, if, I, if I'm if i correct by saying that. I, I was going to one of his fights in Atlantic City three years ago, and I went into the hotel, and I was with my dad, and my dad didn't know shit about the UFC, and was like, was, I was pretty new to the sport, too. It was within a year of when I started liking it. I was like, Dad, it's the, it's the main event fighter. It's the main event fighter right there. And I walked out to him, and I said, shook his hand. I said, good luck, Donald. And he, he kind of just lowered his head with his uh, cowboy hat on. And then I watched him go out there and head kick Jim Miller. And I yelled, holy fucking shit, at the top of my lungs when he did. It was just the most natural. I didn't think about it at all. I just jumped up and screamed when I saw him and head kick him. You know, my seats weren't even that good, but I was dialed into that fight. I was. I saw I saw the kick the entire way, and when it connected, I knew it was over. And then, man, that was that was special. So Donald Cerrone has a special, special place in my heart. But, uh, I mean, you know, I picked him to win against Robbie Lawler. I thought he was... Uh, I thought, I mean, I picked him to win against fucking Darren Till, too. You know, I didn't see that coming. Who the hell did? But uh, I picked, I mean, I thought he did really well in the decision against Lawler, you know. But I don't know what's next for him, you know. Is he going to stay a welterweight? Is he going to drop down to lightweight again? Because that lightweight cut kills him. That lightweight cut exposes his, his liver, you know. He, he at, at, well, at lightweight, all you got to do is hit that dude with a body punch or a body kick, and he's going down like Matt Brown. 
Um, like you saw that with Matt Brown, you know, Diego Sanchez doesn't. Ooh, um, sorry if I uh, made a loud noise with the mic there. Diego Sanchez doesn't have much technique left. You know, he doesn't have he doesn't have pretty much anything left. And you know, all he had to do was throw a little switch kick to hit Matt Brown, and Matt Brown was wincing in pain and backing up and holding the side. And then luckily he finished him in the first round. But another one of those kicks, man, shit, Diego Sanchez might have pulled off a win in 2017. You know, that would have been crazy. All right, now getting back to the cards this weekend tonight. For the Ultimate Fighter finale, um, I hate to break it to you, but this card sucks a bag of dicks. Um, this might be the worst UFC card ever. You know, it is a tough finale, so it's not really even like a legit card. You know, it's on a Friday night. They're probably gonna have five or six or five five or six thousand people in the arena. But um, regardless, it's a card. And it truly saddens me to say this, but in the main event for a UFC title, Nico Monato versus Roxanne Madarafi is the main event. You know, I, I've heard of Roxanne before. She's been on the scene for a long time. This Nico girl, I have not. Um, you know, she's 3-0 and the ultimate fighter she's beat lauren murphy and barb honchuk two you know pretty good names so i mean i i would probably give her the advantage in, in on paper you know from my pretty uh pretty narrow analysis of it so far uh i just know that um roxanne is not too uh high level nor consistent um her mma record is 21 and 13 um also on the the fight card we have sean o'malley that kid who won dana white's uh tuesday night contender series um got a couple more f women's flyaway fights joe soto versus brett johns two guys i've heard of but don't really know too much about you know obviously i've seen S soto lose to Dillashaw in that short notice fight and I know that he has not done too well in the UFC since then if I'm if I'm correct let me uh investigate yeah two, three and two since then he's on a three fight winning streak though so I definitely give the advantage to him oh well he's fighting Brett Johns who is undefeated um so you know, that should that should be a good fight kicking kicking off the the Fox Fox Sports one uh, main card you know i don't have any plans tonight might might tune in might not um tomorrow night saturday night for all the marbles we got ufc 218 and unfortunately i have a good friend of mine fighting uh in a, a local muay thai show the same night so i will be going to that to show my support for my homie um, so I might miss a couple of the UFC fights, especially the ones on the, the Fox prelims, which is a sin because these are some stellar fucking fights. Um, the, as far as the fight pass, not too much interesting stuff. We got, uh, Angela Magana on the, the prelims, which, you know, that's always good for, for her ass and all, you know, but other than that. 
not much, uh, not much going on there. Uh, n not too many other names on the pre uh, the, the fight pass prelims that I recognize. However, we might have one of the best prelims, Fox prelims all year. Felice Herrig and Courtney Casey. That's a really good fight at uh went one fifteen. Uh, I think I think Herrig will win that one by decision, just because uh, she's way more consistent. Um, I like Felice Herrig a lot. Have a huge crush on her, so that's why I'm picking her basically. David Tamer versus Jakar Close is an exciting matchup between two young lightweights who are uh, just bursting into the UFC really recently, honestly. Uh, Jakar Close uh, decisioned Mark D. Casey in his last fight, totally outclassed uh, D. Casey in that fight. No one saw that coming. Uh, everyone was on the D. Casey hype train, expecting him to get another finish, but. Uh, you know, he got shut down by Jakar Close. Jakar Close had some nasty, nasty leg kicks. I remember he was just straight kicking the legs out from under uh, Mark Casey in that fight. But um, David Tamer is also no joke. Uh, just also coming off of a big upset when he fought Lando Venata at UFC 209. And, you know, everyone was pretty high on Venata. You know, they saw him go through that war with Ferguson. And then they saw him knock out Macdessi with that masterful wheel kick. Masterful. He made it look so graceful the way he spun just so nicely like that. And just right on the button. Um... And so, you know, uh, Tamer is uh, nasty um, because he, 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 he shut down Venata in that fight. You know, that was fighting the day. It was back and forth. Both fighters had some success, I suppose. But, um, you know, Tamer came out on top. So that's, that's a good fight. I don't really have a pick in that fight because they're so evenly matched. But uh, I think Jakar's uh, leg kicks might be, might be an option, you know, if he can... Uh, land some of them early and slow down Tamer's movement, he might be able to limit a lot of Tamer's mobility and uh, get the better of the striking. Uh, another excellent fight is a welterweight fight between uh, Alex Cowboy Oliveira and Yancey Medeiros. Um, Yancey is just coming off uh, a finish of Eric Silva, UFC 212, that same card as uh, when Holloway dethroned all, uh, Aldo. If you don't know this, uh, Holloway and uh, Yancey are good uh, Hawaiian brothers who trained in Hawaii together. And, you know, they really were in sync that night. They both scored, you know, knockouts. Uh, really kind of just rode in a Brazilian beat beat up two Brazilians like it was nothing. Um, they actually got a really warm welcoming in Hawaii and, you know, pages in the paper for them. So that's really good to see. Um, big Yancey Madero's fan. He's uh, a Diaz Brothers affiliate. So I like him a lot. But I also like Alex Oliveira. Alex Cowboy Oliveira. Dude always shows up to fight. Always has good fights. Um, and is honestly pretty fucking good. You know, the way he copied Donald Cerrone's gimmick is kind of like meme-like in a way, but his skill is no joke. Um, that's an excellent fight, you know. Uh, I give Yancey the advantage on the on the feet and uh, Cowboy the advantage on the ground, you know. And uh, but I think I think we're gonna see a bit of a striking battle. You know, I don't think you're gonna be able to get Yancey down too easily. And I think that uh, Yancey will uh, get the better of him. Uh, probably decision. I don't know if he'll finish Cowboy. But uh, he might, you know. Yancey's, Yancey's lethal. 
another really, really good fight, man. These prelims are stacked. Charles the Bronx, Oliveira versus Paul Felder. Um, you know, that's again striker versus grappler. You know, Oliveira has the most wicked guard in uh, MMA. You know, uh, you know we did see Pettis submit him. But, uh, you know, we've seen Oliveira get in so many wars. You know, like that war with Jeremy Stevens when it was basically just scrambles for 15 minutes straight. And he had some nasty submissions in that. Um, he uh, didn't, didn't end up locking any down. But I remember watching that fight wincing in pain for Jeremy Stevens. Like seeing his arm being ripped out of the socket. Uh, you know, Charles Oliveira is nasty. And you can't count that guy out. Uh, ever you know he is not really suited for 155 uh you know he's more of a 145er but he sucks at cutting weight but i mean this dude had you know like you look at his you look at his uh his resume and he has submission of the night fight of the night performance of the night performance of the night performance of the night fight of the night performance of the night you know it just goes on but he also has catchweight 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 four catchweight fights in the ufc so that's not good actually five catchweight fights in the ufc and uh i think i missed one or two submission of the nights for him so you know the dudes the dude's been around um he's fought like a lot a lot of killers so he definitely had definitely a lot less killers than paul felder paul felder's a lot more fresh in that matter um i mean how can you not like paul felder you know like his his he, the way he's been doing uh commentary lately is great he has two finishes this year first round finishes and uh, he's uh you know the, that last one with the, the the elbow finish against stevie ray uh, in Scotland, uh, that was a, a, an excellent finish. So I think if uh, you know if he can stay standing, you know it's it's obviously going to be Charles' uh, uh, priority to get him to the ground. If he can stay standing, I I, I give Paul a very very good shot um, of getting this fight uh, finished. You know, uh, Oliveira's cardio is never too good, and uh, is pretty susceptible to finishes, honestly. So um, give give uh, Felder the edge in that one, but you know if he gets him on the ground, maybe might be game over. Charles will tie you up real quick. Um, moving on to the main card, uh, Tish Torres, Tiny Tornado versus the Karate Hottie, uh, Michelle Waterson. Man, if that fight was just nicknames, it would be so much more interesting. The Tiny Tornado versus the Karate Hottie, da, 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 da. but instead it's just Tisha Torres versus Michelle Waterson. Um, you know both of these. Both of these girls are a, a little overrated, in my opinion, you know? Neither of them have really shined in the octagon at all. Um, although they're they are thought of as, uh, you know, pretty, not elite, you know, but, but pretty high-level uh, women's strawweight contenders. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing, like, bad about them, you know? They're, they're not bad by any means, but, uh, you know, and I, I mean, I shouldn't have said... I shouldn't have said they haven't shown anything. You know, Torres is five and one in the UFC. That's pretty fucking good. And four four and zero oh in in Invicta. You know, um, damn, that's pretty legit. Um, but uh, you know, Karate Hadi also also has got a, a good record. Good record. 14, 14 and five. And the only people she's lost to is that uh, uh, that 
Japanese cat back in Invicta. She lost to uh, Thug Rose. Um, but you know they're they're pretty they're pretty consistent. But you know they really haven't. I don't think they've they've really went full stride in uh, the UFC yet. You know, um, Michelle Waterson has two two chokes in uh in the UFC, but um, against Magana and Paige Van Zandt, which uh, are probably two of the lower level uh, one fifteen pounders. So I would. I guess I would have to give uh, Tisha Torres the advantage. I think she probably gets it done by decision. She's a classic decision fighter um, and uh, doesn't really have too much finishing ability, unfortunately. But um, So I, I would definitely give Torres by decision the probable outcome in that fight. And uh, moving on to the b- 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 barn burner, the people's main event, uh, Eddie Alvarez versus Justin Gaethje, um, the Ultimate Fighter coaches fight. This fight has fireworks written all over it. If you don't know that by now, I don't know where you've been. Uh, Justin Gaethje has never been in a boring fight ever in his life. He's uh, eighteen and zero. Is that what he is? He's he's fucking incredible. Eighteen and zero. Yeah. Uh, 15 knockouts. I remember, I remember World Series of Fighting being the worst fucking fighting promotion ever. But every time Justin Gaethje fought, I was like, I gotta watch it. Well, actually, I didn't really know who he was until he beat up this dude with one arm once. You guys remember that? You guys remember that? Nick Newell, he beat him up with one arm. Um, and then he, uh, went on to have some has some pretty pretty crazy fights in World Series of Fighting. The Paul Amino ones I remember being crazy. Uh, don't remember watching the Melvin Gallard fight. Um, but then I knew when he came to the UFC, he was just going to fuck shit up. And I knew Michael Johnson loved to get in wars. And I knew that Michael Johnson didn't have the chin to stand with this guy. So I, I remember watching that fight knowing how it was going to happen. Know that every hard shot that uh johnson landed it didn't mean shit because justin was just going to come back with everything he's got and that's just what that dude is he has no quit in him he has the toughest chin in mma i swear i don't think eddie i don't think eddie's gonna knock him out i think that the they're both gonna get in war and i think that you know if basically if Dustin Poirier get, gets in a war with you and, and basically beats you which he did to eddie alvarez eddie alvarez had to you know cheat to uh to get out of that fight um you know i think justin gaethje will have no problem i think he's just gonna it's gonna be like uh dos anjos versus alvarez just gonna be standing and banging in chaos and i think that gaethje finishes him in the second round can't wait for that fight it's got fight of the night written all over it fight of the year written all over it uh i love both those guys they both put it all out on the line every time they fight and uh that's definitely gonna be uh best best fight of the card um flyweight fight this is pretty much who's fighting demetrius yet or next uh if tj doesn't want to fight him we got henry cejudo versus sergio pettis um this is a fight where it could go one of two one of two ways uh you know henry cejudo could uh knock Pettis out with his striking which we saw Cejudo do against Wilson Hayes a couple months ago in Can- uh, Kansas City was it let me see before I speculate on that um, 
No, it was in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, UFC 215. Either way, we saw him light Wilson Hayes up, knocked him out in the second round with this like new and improved Henry Cejudo that we've never seen before. You know, we've seen a young Henry Cejudo, a very wrestling style oriented Henry Cejudo. You know, they threw him to Demetrius when he was like seven or no, the poor kid. Uh, you know, and he has he had no business being in the, in the ring with Demetrius at that point. Um, he was ten and now, but uh, he came in the UFC six and now. Now I think that Cejudo knocking Pettis out is the probable outcome of the fight, but it is definitely not the only outcome possible. Uh, another strong possible outcome is Sergio Pettis just wearing Cejudo uh, down, just like he did Brandon Marino in his last fight. Uh, you know, he went five rounds with Marino and really proved that you know he could he could last in a five-round fight, you know. I don't know if it's to say he's ready for Demetrius yet, because, I mean, when are you ready for Demetrius? But, I mean, I guess they might be ready to feed him to uh, Mighty Mouse. Um, Sergio doesn't have much finishing power, but he's uh, very, very uh, gritty, and, you know, he's getting very, uh, getting a lot better. I, saw, I watched the fight when he got knocked out by Ryan Benoit today, and, you know, Benoit has looked looked like the same fighter as he did when he uh, when he knocked some some dude out two weeks ago. I remember I remember watching the fight, and, uh, live betting on the other guy in the second round, and then he knocks him out in the third round. So that was kind of uh, upsetting. Uh, I'll tell you that guy's name, uh, Ashkan Mokatarian. That was in uh, Australia what two weeks ago yeah so ryan benoit sort of didn't really age as a fighter but pettis did pettis has get, gotten way way better so pettis decision is somewhat likely but uh, i think that uh i think that uh suhudo get it done by knockout uh co-main event we get another fireworks show as francis the the french beast in ghana takes on uh alistair overeem um, you know, Overeem is a staple in the heavyweight division. You know, he goes nowhere. Uh, you know, he's always he always a tough fight. He's always going to show up. Always going to have crisp striking. Um, always going to be in shape. Uh, you know, but Francis wants this man. Francis has never been here before. He wants it. You know, you know. I watch the embedded with everyone, and everyone's you know cool, cool and relaxing. You know, shooting the shit. Playing, uh, playing games, killing time with their buddies, but Francis is hitting pads. Francis is every single embedded. He's cracking pads. He's, you know, mixing in leg kicks. He's blasting body kicks. He's throwing elbows. I don't know. I, I, I think that I think that this is Angano's time to shine. I think that uh, Overeem, uh, you know, it's it's it would be it would be stupid to say that his time is far over cuz i mean he just fought stepe and fucking knocked him down and almost had him finished and he just you know knocked out junior dos santos and just beat Verdoom doom in a close decision um so it's, it's stupid to say that he's she should should retire but i mean his chin is just sh- sh- shot i mean he's been finished like 10 15 times in his career uh throughout mma and kickboxing but i mean you know 
he can he can avoid punches. I mean, he's he's an elite elite striker. So you know, uh, uh, not an amateur, but definitely an unpolished striker like Ngano. You know, if Overeem could avoid him, if if Overeem were to avoid him, I would see him winning by decision. You know, him being super cautious. You know, really just not wanting to get caught. Um, because there's just something so explosive about Francis. You know, when you fight Hunt, it's like, all right, you're fighting a warrior, a gladiator, this dude who hits hard. But, I mean, all you got to do is, you know, look out for his hands. You know, his big looping punches, and you're not going to get knocked out. But, I mean, you know, Francis has got weapons. He doesn't got looping punches. He's got snapping punches. he got crisp hooks, and any one of his shots can just put you out. You know, Mark has got, Mark's got two shots. You know, we saw Alistair uh, close the distance with Mark, get him in the clinch, knee him. But uh, Alistair clinching Francis and keeping him against the fence, good fucking luck, man. Francis is g- g- gigantic. I, th- I don't think that Alistair's going to be able to hold on to him any fucking amount he wants. I mean, I saw that embedded Alistair is doing a lot of strength training, weight training, but, I mean, good luck holding down that beast, man. I got Nganu by knockout. Uh, first round? First round, maybe. I think maybe maybe Alistair s- slips away in the first round and Nganu gets him in the second. But uh, um, moving on to the main event. Um, this fight this fight is... I'm very conflicted about this fight, you know. Jose Aldo is my all-time favorite MMA fighter. All-time, you know. His Muay Thai is, is so slick. He, you know, got me interested in starting Muay Thai. He, you know, his dominance in the WBC. He's fucking dudes up when he first came to UFC. You know, Hominic Florian, Mendez, Edgar, uh, Zombie, Lamas. All those dudes fucking him up. Uh, you know, so he's, he's, he's special to me. But, uh... But man, Max Holloway's a motherfucker. Max Holloway, man. I mean, I I I I, I, I cheered for Aldo so hard uh, in that in that first fight. You know, when he lit him up in the first round, I was losing my shit. When he landed that knee and was chasing around the cage, I was like, "Go, Aldo, finish him!" But um, man, Holloway doesn't go down. Holloway is is he's something else, man. He's top five pound for pound, no doubt about it. Um. So it's it's hard. it's gonna be hard for Aldo to finish him, you know. If here's my thinking, um, you know, this isn't a short notice fight for Aldo. Even though Aldo filled in short notice, it's not a short notice fight because he was training for a fight a week afterwards, you know. And it was a three round fight, but I mean, Aldo has been fighting five rounds for the past ten years of his life. It's not like he's you know gonna be like, okay, let's take a lot of time off and you know run down my cardio no he's still at the same you know athletic level he was just training for one less round you know that would have been a shame i mean it was a shame to see uh you know regardless of how this fight goes well regardless well even after if if aldo loses his fight i would definitely like to see him you know get back in there for a three-round fight against you know lamas or someone you know take some time off fight mendez when he gets back shit man um when you're both off the roids but um you know i can if aldo can swarm him in the first round and rock him like he did in the first and empty his tank and like he did in the first fight unlike on uh the first fight he you know wanted to conserve his energy he doesn't really like going for the kill he likes you know cruising to a decision you know not cruising because he still does he's still pretty active but um you know he, he he definitely likes winning by points so if he can rock him in the first and then you know 
poured on, really poured on, and uh, tried to, like like Max did. Max poured it on in the first fight. You know, he had him hurt and just poured it on. He gave everything he had. He threw 100, 200 ground and pound strikes, and he finally finished him. But, you know, if Aldo can replicate something similar to that, that's his best shot at winning, you know. I don't see him beating Max on points. Uh, I see Max maybe stopping Aldo in two, rounds two, three, four, middle rounds, you know. Not early, not too late, but uh, man, that's a tough fight. It, it sucks saying this because you know, Aldo just got his ass kicked by him six months ago. Just got his ass kicked. Um, so it's it's recent. Six months is recent. You know, we saw Hen and Brow bounce back from Brow or from Dillshaw too too quickly, and you know, we saw how that went. So hopefully, we can expect a better outcome about Aldo. I would be the happiest man alive if Aldo won. Got it. Got you know. Got T-shirts. Jose Aldo's name on it. I will be rocking it tomorrow. I can tell you that. Uh, can't wait for this card. It's gonna be electric. Uh, I'll let you know the bets I have on the on the card so far. Um, not no no big bets. You know, all just you know tiny little you know stib stib stab here. Just test the waters here. Aldo wins in the first round at plus two thousand. You know, like I said, that's his that's his pretty much only shot at winning, so might as well do it so we can cheer for it. Overeem wins by three round decision, plus five hundred. Again, his only option at winning. Uh, and that's if that, I, there's just not that much money in Ngano. Um, you know, He's, he's a pretty big favorite. He's favorite to knock him out, favorite to win inside the distance. So it's not really, I don't really see the value in betting in Gano. Um, I got Suhuda wins by TKO or KO plus 435. Are you kidding me? I'll take that all day. Suhuda wins in the dis- inside the distance 318. That's kind of a stupid bet because he's not going to submit him. He doesn't really have too much of a submission unit for what I know. Uh, Yancey Medeiros at plus 180 on just the straight money line against Cowboy. That's a huge mismatch. I don't know how Yancey's an underdog. A little parlay on Max Ngano, Cejudo, and Gaethje. So you know the four, the four dudes. Who, um, I wouldn't say confident because I can't. I can't say I'm confident in Max because uh, I don't know. I just can't say it. I can't. I can't speak those words. Um, I can't cheer against Aldo. Uh, but you know that parlay. I'm looking looking good for. Uh, and then Aldo inside the distance at plus five hundred. Um, just you know, just kind of stabbing around to see where I can go. You know, all those bets are like you know couple bucks here a couple bucks there but to win some pretty big turnarounds that's what i love cheering for just you know cheering for some really unpredictable outcomes and you know going crazy if they actually happen i think that's going to cover all of our topics for today you know we uh we really uh investigated uh dana white's scrum into a pretty uh extensive detail you know deciphering all those lies giving our opinions on it what he actually meant um why he was lying to us went through a lot of stuff like that and then uh you know gave a quick uh, recap of the shanghai nothing nothing too exciting there when i say quick i mean speedy and then uh, given a pretty in-depth uh, analysis of the card uh the pay-per-view tomorrow not really too much analysis of the card uh the ultimate fighter finale because not too much depth there but um as far as the U18, uh, UFC 218 card, uh, we uh, broke that down pretty well. Um, hope that everyone enjoyed listening to the podcast. Uh, you know, if you have any suggestions, any uh, 
critiques please let me know i would love to hear please tweet me at ufo ufc if you know me more personally please reach out and give me any any opinions on the podcast i really enjoyed making it uh, i can i plan to continue to make them uh weekly as often as i can you know before every big ufc card anytime i had the interest in doing it you know this is something i want to keep on doing and keep getting better at and you know keep trying to gain a fan base and you know get something started with this and uh you know keep uh, indulging and loving the the life of an mma fan you know so um you know uh whether you are a boy a girl a man a woman an alien or a martian or any other conscious being listening to this podcast i hope that you enjoyed yourself And this has been episode one of Martian MMA. I'm John. Thank you for listening, and I'm out.